Jesus. And we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, notice this, not as the word of men, but as the truth, the word of God. And then notice, that word which effectively works in you who believe. So notice again the, the blessing, the privilege of that word of truth. Not that which is from man, not that exciting series or book again or movie, but that which is from God. Why is that so significant? Because the, the word of God, as Peter said, moves in us to purify our souls and make us presentable as those who ultimately will be saved. And so then let's establish together this morning the Word of God is found in the Bible. The Bible is that very Word of God. It's not just another good book. It's not like some of our brethren would even suggest today, that it, it's another good story book. Unfortunately, there are people in the churches of Christ that are beginning to present the idea that the Bible has some truth and some things that are really not true or accurate. It's unfortunate that we've picked up these denominational mindsets and that we've gone with many of the world and we've left the pattern that God sometimes gives us that is so simple. But let's see what the Bible claims and then what we'll try to end with at the end of this lesson is the idea... How can we not believe it to be the Word of God? And if you do believe what the Bible claims, then are you going to obey it? Are you going to follow it? And if you don't believe that it's the Word of God, quit wasting your time. Now, you could be at home taking a nap right now or sleeping in, uh, watching the game later, uh, going to Dairy Queen, whatever you want to do. You can do a lot of exciting things. But you could actually this morning be somewhere else and stop wasting your time. But let's begin there in a very familiar verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 16. I love this passage. This is a passage that really we spend about three weeks on in one of our classes at school called the General Introduction to the Bible. And so we're going to begin today and we're going to go for three weeks from this point on and spend the same amount of time. Let's see how much you enjoy that. Uh, please stay awake. Uh, I hope I can stay awake. <laughs> but uh, notice what verse 16 says All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word all, there is the concept of every or pasa, all or every scripture. That, that means there are none excluded. And we're not going to look specifically at that verse right now, but verse 15 in the original language actually talks about the holy scriptures. Now those holy scriptures that lead someone to the ability to find salvation or to be saved. The reason that's important is because verse 16 doesn't actually say scripture, it says writings. And so what we have to do is we have to look in the context to say, what are these writings? And in the English Bibles that you have most likely Scripture in verse 15 and 16 are capitalized. And the reason is, is because verse 15 says that from childhood I have learned the Holy Writ or the Holy Scriptures. The word is the same word. One has a the in front of it and one doesn't. And so in the context what that means is that this is talking about the Word of God. Not just any book, not just any writings, but the Word of God. So when we look at what we're considering, the Word of God, what is the Word of God? It's inspired. The idea of inspired means to be breathed upon or breathed out upon. There's guidance. And when we think about the idea of inspiration, God breed, what we actually see is the idea that, that shows that God guided and God led and God controlled and God made the, the writers to know what He wanted them to write, yet 
he was able to maintain their individual personalities. And so we read a letter from Paul, and it differs in the way that it is written, or it differs in the words that are used from Peter. And we read the book of James, and we read the book of so on and so forth we can go. And although they're different authors, we find that it, they are revealing exactly what God desires from their own perspective. And you might recall with me that sometimes Paul and others like Peter will actually greet individuals. And they'll give greetings and they'll make mention of things. So God didn't take away the individual. He didn't make robots. He's never wanted robots. But he used individuals to write or to inspire, to breathe upon by and through the Holy Spirit that they might write the word of who? God, not their word, not what Paul felt, not what Peter, we don't follow Paul. Man, I love Paul. I mean, I probably mentioned him in most of my sermons. I love Peter. I love many of these men. And, and I do follow the same word that they follow but I follow God. And if you'll notice here, it doesn't say, I, Paul, write all Scripture that is from Paul. I write all Scripture that is from God. And later, Peter, at the end of one of his books, actually says, the inspired word is also who? The Apostle Paul. So we know that even Peter acknowledges that Paul was writing things that were God's words, that were God's words. I know that Brother Kendall, no doubt, has written things before, and I've, I've written things. Uh, those things are from Ray or Kendall. Uh, they're not God's Word. They're not inspired in the sense of God's Word, even though they might be based on that which is inspired. When we're talking about inspired Word, we're talking about the Word that was breathed by, by God through individuals in a controlled way that was penned exactly in the way that God desired for it to be penned. I love there the book of Second uh, Peter, because it's probably the second text that is very familiar again, but nonetheless important to understand, because here we actually see the same words being used but then he broadens it a little bit, because what he does is he begins to present that concept from what he refers to as prophecy of Scripture. And so the prophecy or the concept of prophecy, we know immediately, because we go back to the Old Testament, and you know what we find in the Old Testament? That there were men of God or prophets of God that were speaking about things that would come. And so the prophets are the prophecies of Scripture. So I want you to notice a few things that he says here beginning in verse 19 of 2 Peter. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Now, in the same way we just saw all Scripture, every Scripture, Pasa, is inspired of God. That means Old New Testaments. In fact, many of the times that Paul is making these references what was the only text that was actually intact at that time? Well, the Old Testament. So a lot of times he's making reference to the affirmed message of God, the Pentateuch and the 39 books of the Old Testament. And so as we think about what he is identifying here, inclusive of anything that had been written up to that point that was inspired, he says, the prophetic word confirmed. You know what that also teaches us? We need to know and recognize which scriptures are scriptures. All scriptures that are from God are scriptures, but you know there are men who say there are additional scriptures that somebody else had to explain it or write. I've, I've never really had a good explanation as to how they tried to explain that this later prophet 
has given an additional word that I've always found interesting because that means everybody before that prophet from the day of Pentecost wasn't given that word. Therefore, they were lost because they didn't have that information that that man changed or revealed. That God didn't even care about those generations until who came and then they gave a new revelation and changed it. That's nonsense. All Scripture that is from God is prophetic word that is confirmed because it is the message of God. It doesn't change. God doesn't change the message that He has established through, again, inspiration. The second thing we find there, verse 19, which you do well to heed as light that shines in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture. See, that's the same idea. The prophetic word confirmed. And then he uses no prophecy. See, he ties prophecy with what? Scripture. That's the same word that Paul uses back in the other book we looked at, 2 Timothy chapter 3. No prophecy of Scripture. No prophecy of the Scripture, the writings, are of what? Any private interpretation. That means... Paul's message is not what we read. It's God's message. Peter's message is not. They may be the, the agent. They might be the secretary. They might be the messenger. There might be any number of, of names that we can apply to them. But what we're reading is that which is not a private interpretation. Secondly, he says in verse 21, prophecy never came by the will of men. So who determined to give the message? Our series won't be about this. But if you go back, you can actually see where the Pentateuch was intended to be something written or given in a, in, a, in a type of written sense or recorded by man to be followed in that day. Moses was told to do what? To write. And then now also under the New Covenant we find they were what? Writing the message, a written form, because a written form is something that is confirmed. Something that is only spoken, oh my, uh, when you leave today, you're going to say, Ray said this, Ray said this, Ray said this. I'm glad you're recording it. <laughs> I've, I've had people come up to me before and they'll say, well, you said this. Let's go back and listen to it. Put it in the context. Well, you see, again, the written word, these are things that we can't get confused about because they're not by Ray's will. They're not by the will. Of, they're not by, as it says here, any private interpretation. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved. And that's kind of a... It's a, it's a word, really, that, that's like a charismatic type of a word, an emotional type of a word that we're moved, not like from a burrito or something like that, but a, in a spiritual sense, moved by the Holy Spirit. So God, again, breathing through and moving the hearts and mind of the authors to do what? Give for Scripture, His message, not a private interpretation, not by the will of man, but that which is of God. You see, the Bible is the Word of God. Now, if you reject that, there again lies the problem that I introduced a moment ago. Why would you follow any of it? Why would you waste your time with any of it? But what we are able to do as Christians is to know that, man, what I'm carrying here is a copy of the Word of God. What a precious thing. You know, in my library, I have uh, all these older Bibles or all these Bibles, and, you know, I see them on the shelves like all the rest of the books. But, man, do we understand that this is the very Word of God? Let's say you get that first edition of 
<laughs> you get you get that signed autographed copy of the first printing of and man you've got it in a case a glass case and i mean you've got maybe a hammer by it just in case for emergency so you can hug it again or something i mean you love it and then what do we do with the bible we, we, we forget the preciousness of the message and not that the book itself needs to be worshiped but the message in it is that which is from God. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. Consider with me then some of the characteristics of the Scripture. Imagine a book, and most of the authors live what? Uh, 60, 80, 100 years. Consider a book that has around 40 different authors. And these authors live in periods that extend for about 1,500 years. And they cover three ages or periods in relationship to two specific covenants as are given the Old and New Testament. 39 books individual in the Old Testament that are made of as we have broken up chapters and verses that are, whoo, have you ever read the Bible? A little bit long. And 27 New Testament books that compile the New Covenant. And as we look at the complexity of that. And we think about, well, a man in the olden days, like Moses, or a, a prophet, or individuals like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then we look at men like Paul and Peter, as we've talked about. And yet, what do we find about the Bible? Consistency. Unity. We find that there is prophecy spoken and prophecy fulfilled. We find that it does not contradict itself. We find that it is beyond really something that we find man is unable to accomplish. Because even in those series, you know, one of the things that's irritating about some of those movies, you say, well, that's not what the book said. I like the ending of the book. Some movies will actually have alternative endings. And you're like, what? <laughs> that's not even fair. So I guess they're trying to please everybody. Well, interestingly enough, this one doesn't change. You know why? It starts at one place. One author. By the way, an author who has all knowledge, all power. We're going to talk about some of those things later today. But think about how awesome it is to know that we have something that God has providentially provided for us today that literally contains the words of God. I might ask you to think about it like this for just a moment. When you think about maybe a loved one that's passed away, I think about my um, grandparents. And uh, you know what I would like today is to have maybe something that my grandfather wrote. Think about how precious that would be. Or my grandmother. Now, I've got a few cards and things. But maybe some things they just really wrote. Took a lot of time. Said, Ray, I want you to remember these things or know these things. So you don't forget them. So your kids will know these things. Well, wouldn't that be precious? But then what have I got? I've got something that not only God has written that I might be saved, but something that He was willing to send His Son to die that I might have eternal life. Do you understand how precious, how precious as we sing the book divine? The book divine that's filled with these messages, these messages of a saving power, a staying power, a power that we find there, even in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, that shows really the Bible is indestructible. Man will not destroy it. Everything will be fulfilled. Every jot, every tittle, everything will be accomplished. But I think one of the things that is most beautiful about the Bible is its transforming power. 
You know, when you think about the Bible, you know, movies might have changed man or affected man in different ways. Uh, books might have affected man. And there might be a lot of people who have heard of these Lord of the Rings or, you know, these big series. But what book has had more power than the Bible? What book has been, just, just get online. You don't have to get very far to understand what the bestsellers list or how many have been sold, how many languages the Bible have been, has been translated into. There are so many evidences, again, that shows us that this book is unique and that not only millions, but over the ages since the church has been established, billions have been changed from hell damnation to eternal life and salvation. And that's an encouraging thing that we also have as God's people today. So the remainder of our time, we're going to look at two final ideas. And the first is, what can it do for us? What can it do for us? And so now I want to return to 2 Timothy once again and chapter 3. And now we're going to dig into that text just a little bit more deeply so that we can see that the Bible not only claims to be the Word of God, not some of it, but all of it, if it's the Bible, if it is inspired, it is from God, and therefore it has great benefit. What are the benefits that are mentioned here? The first benefit that we might note is that, let's look at verse 17, then we're going to come back to verse 16. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped... So, one thing we know about the Bible, it is that it is able to thoroughly equip us in every good work. So, imagine, imagine a source. And now, again, I know that Kendall and I aren't going to claim this. But imagine a source that could always give you every complete answer, every true answer, never be wrong, and yet... When I'm going to do the work of the Lord, it's going to give me not some of what I need, but completely furnish, thoroughly furnish. What book on earth could you buy that could do that? There's not a book. Even if you're a doctor or if you're a lawyer, if you're maybe into a higher education to where you're maybe a surgeon, there's no one book probably that has all the answers. But the Bible makes that claim. How on earth can it make that claim? It's the Word of God. It is able to do what? Thoroughly equipped. Not for some, but every. There's that same word. Pasa. All. Every good work. So that's one of the things we learn about the profitability of the Scripture. It is there to help us in everything, always. That's why when we go over to Peter again, what do we learn? We learn there that the knowledge that God presents to us has given us all things pertaining to what? So you know the verse, life and godliness. So again, we have that ability to know why God gave it to us. Now back up to verse 16 again. In verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and here's the word, and is therefore profitable. That original word means it is useful, it, it has benefit. So how does the word of God benefit Ray? Four specific ways that it makes mention of. The first one I think is interesting. Of all the things that could have started with doctrine. The word doctrine comes from the original Greek word teachings. And so it means not just teachings, but if you were to read anywhere and it says Jesus was teaching the people or the teachings 
It's used throughout the New Testament, hundreds and hundreds of times. This again has an article. It has a the in front of it. And so it means the teachings. That's why, again, when we look at what is being said here, it's translated in English doctrine. Uh, doctrine is that concept that is a transliterated word uh, that comes right from the Greek and is made because they needed a word that identified really this idea of the Word of God or Scripture that is really only from God. So the doctrine. Don't think that when you see doctrine in English that it's just another word. It's a very important word that theologians have determined for ages really show the precedent have established words in Latin and English to help us to understand really what was being said where there was not an adequate word before. Somebody might say Word of God, but when I say doctrine, that means what it says is specific. Specific. What's one of the biggest problems in the church today? People following the doctrine? No. Why are they not following the doctrine? They're not following this book. But the inspired Word of God is profitable to give me doctrine. So, why is it that they're not speaking the same thing as God? Because they're not using the book. They're no longer bringing it from the book. So, profitable for doctrine. The second thing we notice here, it says, is reproof. This means the idea of a sense of testing one or an individual to the sense of persuading. When I was growing up, I never liked tests, but I liked giving them. You know, I found out as a teacher there are things that I really enjoy that used to make me sweat that now I just sit back and smile. <laughs> On my Greek test, I teach Greek. My final Greek test has about 411 questions on it. It's an accumulative test from the whole quarter. And when they see that, they cry. And I enjoy that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, maybe I'll repent later, Brother Kendall. You can pray for me. <laughs> But, uh, you know, sometimes you can do But test, uh, testing that persuades. See, I, I tell them, you know, if I just give you a quiz and I just give you one test and then move on, you've got four quarters of this. You're going to be lost in quarter two and three because you've got to retain this stuff. You've got to remember this stuff. But you know what I love about it? When that test is done, that final test, and most of them make A's on it, some of them make hundreds on that 411 question test. Then there's an accomplishment in them, too. Now, why were they able to do that? Because it was established what to learn, and they learned it. Oh, oh, if man was willing to do that, profit in testing and persuasion. When's the last time uh, Kendall gave y'all a test? Uh, after a sermon, uh, man, I got some people at K would be in trouble. <laughs> what was it about? You know, I got a few of those. Uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, when the, we don't test. We've got a few teachers at KE. Well, Brent's one of them. But uh, when he teaches the younger classes, he'll give them tests. Oh, they don't like him. But that's probably a really smart thing to do because it's testing. It's challenging someone to retain. You remember when you were teaching maybe young classes and you'd send that little verse home? Jesus wept. Or, you know, a simple verse for even small kids, and they can learn it. Well, those things are challenging. See, they're profitable. They persuade. They test in a positive sense. The next word there is profitable for discipline. And the last two words, correction and instruction, are very similar. But one is a discipline in the sense of restoration or setting things in order. And so what it's trying to do is to say, when that person might have, you know, stumbled on the coffee table, you're picking them back up. You're helping them and getting them back on track. We all need that. Every Christian needs that. But then, 
The instruction is really training in the sense of a child. Both include types of discipline, even to chastisement. The final word there, instruction, is the idea to discipline. And that is, even if necessary, in a strong sense to discipline, to correct. And so when that child's hand goes towards that hot plate on the stove, sometimes you have to smack it because you've told them three times and they don't listen anymore. But then they know. They know they don't like that. And even at any age, they realize, that's something I don't want to do again. And therefore, they have received chastisement or actual training in that sense of instruction. So think about that. It gives us not only the doctrine, that exact knowledge that God wants us to know, but it also tests us and persuades us and makes sure that we're keeping ourselves right because we are restoring ourselves by, as it says, correction. And then we are continually training ourselves to be what? What God wants. And boy, you talk about a good parent. If I'd only known... If I'd only known when I had kids that I could just follow the plan that God gave here. And think about how simple that is. Teach them. As it says what? Persuade them. As it says, restore them. And as it says, discipline them. That's what God does to us through the Word of God. And who needs that? You do and I do. How often? Every day. Every day we have to be challenged to not only dig into the doctrine, but to allow the doctrine to affect us. And if you can read the Bible without being affected, that's a whole other sermon, and we don't have time for that this morning. Because again, what is it? It is the Word of God. What else do we learn here? So those are about five things already. It thoroughly or completely equips us. It profits us into doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And verse 15 says, it was able to make him wise unto what? Salvation. So the Bible, what, what other book has the ability to save the souls of men? No other book. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see what the word of God does? You see how it is always with us? God may be with us in spirit, as the Bible says, but he's always with us as that parent's always with us in instruction and in guidance and in help. You know, as a, as a father, one of the things that was a bit difficult is when my kids would leave the house. And I was telling some earlier, now all of my children at least have left the house. And so when Chase left, it was a little tough. Um, I took him down to Berryville, Arkansas. And uh, we were down there, and uh, it was time for me to leave. Dad, I was the only one there. And I said, well, son, it's time for me to go. And I just broke down. To be honest with you, I just started crying. I don't, I'm not really a crier unless you got a lot of onion back there. I'm getting hungry every time I look back there. Can y'all put up a wall or something? I mean, I, the devil's tempting me every time I look over here. But anyway, I, I just started bawling. And I didn't think I was going to get it together. I mean, I was just really upset thinking about again, leaving, thinking, oh, my, you know, how's he going to heat up his own hot dog? Uh, you know, who's going to wash his clothes? Uh, who's going to wipe off the counters? Who's going to vacuum the floors? You know, all the important stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Just the, the overwhelming thing to again understand. But then what I had to understand as I still was choked up on the way home is that I'd laid down. I'd laid down that foundation and he had this. 
And what I also knew is that this was something he had at home, even though I was gone, that continued to help him and to be there for him. And you know what he's doing right now this morning at the same time? Preaching the gospel. And so that's what has to happen sometimes. It's, it's hard for us as parents. I just told him, man, just stay home for a few more years. I'm fine with that. But uh, at the end of the day, he needs to get out and do the work of the Lord. Let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to notice uh, another thing, and this is a good passage. We won't spend a lot of time here because I've got uh, one more direction I'd like to go this morning before we conclude. But there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, you remember here that there's actually a challenge of putting away things that are contrary to God. But then I want you to notice that it says this. It says, as newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. You see what the Bible does? It is a process of growth. It is something that comes forth from the heart, from the mind, the soul, that gives us the ability, as we've seen, unto salvation. No wonder, Paul said, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, because it was the power of God unto salvation again. And there's one verse we're going to end with. I know our time, I think, is just about up based on what? Five minutes. Okay. All right. So we got time. Let's go ahead and somebody let somebody in the doorbell. <laughs> Let's look at one more verse. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Um, you know, some, sometimes what I love, although that Jesus spoke primarily before the church was established, there are so many beautiful passages that really, uh, again, show not just a great poetic uh, license, but also the ability to, to really foreshadow or foretell some of those things that are really just around the corner. But there... In that text, I want you to notice with me in the Gospel of John chapter 6 and around verse 63. If we, were, if we were looking in that section, we'll notice that many of the disciples are turning away. And there in verse 63 it says, It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing, but the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And so... The reason I mention that is because our next lesson on our main hour this morning is going to be on authority. So we've been talking about the Bible, but, but what we're going to try to develop this morning in our continued discussion is that now that we understand the significance of the Bible, let's try to figure out together how it is that we get from God in the sense down the line to a written word that bears that type of authority. Because it's one thing to say, this is the Word of God, I need to obey it and follow it. But it's another thing to understand really that the Bible itself bears authority because of the pattern that God gave. And so that's how we're going to progress here. Understanding then that the very one who was called life himself, Jesus, there in John chapter 1, I am the life. We know there in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That life is found Again, through Jesus, but how do we know that? Again, the words, the words that we have been given that pertain to life. And so I appreciate so much your attention this morning. I look forward to not just the main hour, but to keep going and, and proclaiming the Word of God and growing together in the things of Christ. Again, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, love you all as God's people. And it's just a, a precious moment as Christians to share times like this. So we're dismissed at this time, I guess, until the main worship hour.